0: Welcome to the first episode of the Developing Founders podcast, where we interview top founders and VCs from the emerging markets. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing a just incredible entrepreneur from Kenya that is working in the world of artificial intelligence. Without further ado, let's jump into the podcast. Mutembi Karyuki is a Kenyan tech entrepreneur working to bring the benefits of AI into solving challenging problems in Africa at a startup he founded called FastTagger. He previously worked with a German development corporation as the Make It in Africa Tech Entrepreneurship Initiative Regional Coordinator in East Africa, where he supported tech entrepreneurs. Mutembi, welcome to the show today.
1: Yo, thanks so much. Um, it's a real honor to be here with you, Brian, and uh, I really look forward to the really amazing conversations. It's always amazing, and I, I learn a lot from these conversations, mm-hmm. and I like um, you know, the initiative that you're doing really to showcase more of the innovation and technology and the entrepreneurship space that's going on on the African continent. So I'm excited.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you. I'm really excited too. I learn a lot in these conversations as well. First, I want to dive just a little bit into FastTagger, and then we can dive a little bit into how you came up with the idea, some of your background, just to let the audience know a little bit about FastTagger and what you are creating.
1: Okay. So FastTagger, we are on the mission to democratize artificial intelligence. Our particular focus is to fill in the gaps of labeled data sets on the African continent. We we realized that, you know, Africa was going to be left out of the benefits of AI just because it didn't have enough labeled data sets for specific use cases. One of the ways that we validated this is we had been talking to a university out of Switzerland, a university, and they were building a a model to detect skin cancer. And, you know, when we were having a conversation with Mm -hmm. them, they were saying they just could not find labelled data sets of uh, darker skin pigmentation that they could add to the model so that it could be effective on African populations um, who have darker skin tones. And so, you know, this was a very big uh, wake-up call for us um, and validated our hypothesis. Mm -hmm. We also noticed this with, like, satellite imagery, you know, not that many are labelled for specific use cases on the African continent to do things in agriculture, like crop yield prediction for those crops that are predominantly on the African continent. Same thing goes for healthcare. Mm -hmm. And then even larger still is the challenge. Today, NLP and conversational AI is really growing, but you don't have African language data sets that are are well-labeled and that can be used on on the African continent. So we start seeing that there's a huge challenge there. And there's also the challenge that most organizations here cannot afford, you know, high level AI teams and which could cost you up to upwards of five hundred thousand dollars a year just to have all those engineers together. And so we realized that we could become the you know infrastructure as a service company of AI for AI on the continent by now, you know, developing that level data set, building the models and then offering them up by API. So the organizations don't have to deal with all the challenges of Know, training the models, keeping them up to date, and the infrastructure such as GPUs and others would be able to manage that whole process for them, and they could use more of this AI for their different applications.
0: Huh. Wow, that is, that's fascinating. So you said one of the, the applications that kind of started it was the skin cancer research. What are some of the other big applications you work with now, and how did you get started with those?
1: Yeah, so one that came up was uh, an interesting one. Um, So one of the challenges within the African continent is access to energy. And so Mm -hmm. about 600 million people don't have access to electricity on the continent or reliable electricity on the continent. So one of the solutions is solar panel. And, you know, that's about a $200 billion plus opportunity on the continent. And so one of the organizations that we engaged with was a solar mini grid developer on the continent. And one of the challenges they were facing is that they would have to download satellite imagery and Google Earth imagery and actually count rooftops and types of rooftops Mm -hmm. so that they can be able to assess an area, whether it would be viable for us or not mini-grid. And so this was a taxing process for them. And, you know, the current models that are there to automatically detect uh, rooftops are mainly built for, you know, other markets. So they, they don't take care of the peculiarities. And that, that's yeah. one thing with, you know, machine learning in, in AI. It's, it's very much, you know, contextual. And so mm-hmm. what we did with them is uh, we trained a, a model to be able to be picking out um, rooftops here on the continent. You know, some people have, you know, thatched roofs, you know, corrugated iron sheets and others, which is, you know, typical to, to African mm-hmm. cities and, or, and remote areas. So now that is one of the things that we're piloting and they're use, using that. And so that is an impact in the energy space on, on the continent. And, you know, we're seeing these emerging spaces, you know. One other one is that we're working on is um, an agriculture organization working like a pharmaceutical organization. And, you know, there there's so many different SKUs on the continent of farm inputs, uh, which are very different from others in terms of brands around the world. And they wanted yeah. something that can be able to help them identify and clean the data that they have. So we're, we're okay. discovering all these interesting use cases on the continent, and you know we even had conversations with oncologists. You know, one of the big challenges on the continent is, you know, as cancer rates are going up, there's not enough radiologists, and you know, yeah. these questions are how how do you use AI to help now doctors and radiologists um, to do the contouring before they actually take the, yeah. the patients into into radiotherapy. So. There are all these interesting use cases that are coming up and we're having conversations with a lot of organizations.
0: Oh wow, that's that's fascinating. So I, I wanna dive into the how AI can help oncologists, but first I kinda wanna dive a little bit into the yeah. AG pharmaceuticals application. So is that also using satellites? How how do you go about quality assurance for that and all, all of that good stuff?
1: Yeah. So, so this one is now backing up into a bit of data science. So this particular mm-hmm. organization, what, what we are looking at for them is, you know, helping them to clean out the data. And, mm-hmm. to, you know, a lot of people are making a lot of mistakes, you know, in terms of inputting data. So we want to help them to, you know, have some sort of recommender system to, 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 to some extent, you know, just the same way, you know, you have the recommender systems on, you know, e-commerce platforms. Right. So one is to have this different SKUs relevant for, for them and to clean them up so that in case someone makes a mistake, you know, the, the system automatically detects, that like, this is actually what the person intended to put, sort of like an out, out to correct to some extent. But, you know, normal, Models uh, won't work because a lot of these names uh, for for these pharmaceutical products here are are unique to the African continent. So you have to train mm-hmm. the model on those. Okay. And so you know it, it's helping that particular organization to really understand you know what people are actually looking for, what different uh, farmers want to use. Helping the organization understand. Okay, if someone wants is not using this particular chemical, why? And, and just helps them get a richer data set that they could use for other purposes um, in the future. So the interesting thing we are finding is that a lot of people were saying that, you know, the continent isn't ready for machine learning, isn't ready for a lot of data science. But then we find that people actually, you know, once you sit down with them and you try to understand the problem they have, and then you can see applications for machine learning and, and data science that can actually help them.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. That's a really interesting use case. So for the on helping oncologists, what exactly are are you helping with there? Because that sounds a little bit more difficult than the typical data science side. so how do you how do you navigate those challenges?
1: So currently it's an ongoing conversation. So mm-hmm. we sat down with um an oncologist and we realized that, there are, there are a lot of radiology centers that have a lot of imaging, you know, going back to 10 mm-hmm. years and plus. And the challenge is we don't have enough radiologists. It takes a long time to train a radiologist. And one of the things that a radiologist in their job has to do is that working with the oncologists, they need to once they've taken the x-rays, they need to map out the treatment and they need to shoot the radioactive material in a particular pattern so that it does not hit any major organs that are outside of the tumor, right? And so that process, a lot of times, you know, if you don't have advanced machines, you need to do it manually, right, um, on the x-rays, and then you Mm -hmm. can compute that into the machines or you can place the person in the right way. And, this takes quite a bit of training and it's a a big part of the job of a radiologist. And so because we don't have enough enough of them, it takes a long time to train each person. So if you could automate part of that work, you could really increase the amount of patients who can be seen and reduce the amount of workload Mm -hmm. for the radiologists and, and the oncologists. So this is one of the conversations that we were having with them. And, you know, we realized, wow, okay, so this is... This is actually something that uh, could be could be a challenge. And then there's also the reality that since we don't have enough, uh, as many doctors, you want the doctors to ha- see as many patients as possible. So if you could have a model that understands like the predominant cancers that are happening on the continent, because we realize that you know there are some cancers which are more predominant on the continent than outside. So models that have been developed have been for those which are more, more common outside the continent. And so the idea would be around helping the doctor you know make faster decisions because at the end of the day, it's still the doctor who needs to make the decision. So what right. you could train them all to do is, for example, in this case of skin cancer, to be faster at you know telling them, okay here there's a high probability that this is cancerous, so please check this. Mm-hmm. So that would drastically mm-hmm. reduce cases of uh, misdiagnosis because that's one of the big challenges you know because the workload for the doctors is just so high. You know, so it's easier right. to, to make um, a misdiagnosis. So that's one of the big challenges that we we see tackling within the, the oncology space and other spaces even within healthcare because misdiagnosis happens because of, you know, just the enormous work, workload for, for doctors. You know, the patients to... To doctor average on the African continent is, you know, really, really high because we just don't have enough trained doctors.
0: Yeah, that that makes sense. That brings me to one of the questions I was interested in your your input in is typically when we hear about machine learning and AI, there's really Mm -hmm. kind of two camps. There's the camp that thinks it's going to bring about basically what you're talking about people are going to be augmented by machine learning and artificial intelligence. And then there's the group that says, well, people are going to be kind of supplanted by machine learning and Mm -hmm. artificial intelligence, and it will uh, cause more job loss Mm -hmm. than job creation. What's kind of your input on that? I think you'll have a unique insight.
1: Yeah, Um, it's quite interesting. One of the things is we've actually seen that machine learning, AI, deep learning, have actually created opportunities for people in the emerging markets. For example, right now, machine learning, deep learning, all these techniques in artificial intelligence require tons and tons of data. Let's take, for example, computer vision. You know, you need millions sometimes of labeled images to develop a really, really precise deep learning um, algorithm. Right? And to mm-hmm. label this, you need humans to label them because machines haven't yet reached the point where they can label data uh, or the images for, for, to, to train the model. And so this is creating a lot of very you know, basic jobs for young people on the African continent and other emerging markets. And one of the big challenges that has been happening in the emerging markets is youth unemployment, So we're actually seeing that, especially at the beginning, AI is creating job opportunities, right? And what happens when these young people are starting to do these jobs? They're getting intrigued and they're wondering, oh, okay, you know, I'm I'm labeling this thing. I want to learn a bit more about what AI is. And So, so for example, so far we've worked with about 100 young people to do labeling tasks, right, Uh, for companies, you know, outside the continent plus some of our own work. And these are young people who, because of the youth unemployment challenge, would, you know, have had less opportunities to make income. So now they've had an additional opportunity to make additional income. You know, some were earning, you know, up to $250, which is not very little money on the, on, on the continent, but as additional income. Let's say they were doing other jobs yeah. and now they have another $250. And on top of that, yeah. they're getting better digital skills which are going to enable them to have more opportunity in the future, and then what they can do now is that if they have even more interest, you know, then they can actually take up, you know, cloud computing, you know, which is going to be even yeah. more 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 useful for them, or another opportunity in data science, or another course and get better. So we are actually seeing that. Yes, people are saying that a lot of jobs are going to be lost, but it's it's the same way that the computer itself. Yes, a lot of mm-hmm. jobs went, you know, out the window, like, you know, if you are a typist or if you are, if you are a company that produces whiteout, right, you know, now there wasn't <laughs> right. as much work for you, but then it had cre- it created more jobs for illustrators, for yeah. graphics designers. So the reality that some jobs will, will become redundant, but so many new jobs will come up, right? Yeah. Becoming a podcast host, <laughs> that's a job that did not exist before, but now it exists. Right. And so we, we're seeing a lot of opportunity. And and I like to look at the way that, you know, AI creates the potential, you know, co-pilot, you know, where, you know, you're, you're mm-hmm. working with the AI, side by side with the AI, like in the case for like yeah. the doctors, it's a co-pilot. And, you know, and the other one is like um, augmenting, right? You know, you're Mm -hmm. you're in in that space, the AI, like sort of autopilot. So there are some things that the AI does on its own and frees up a lot of time for you to do as well. So that's the world that we are going into. And I see that we'll all have a lot of time freed up for us to do a lot of things that you know, initially it's, for example, it's like talking about the way the washing machine revolutionized the lives of so many, you know, households, especially women, right. you know, now right. instead of, you know, spending time, you know, washing clothes, which is to take quite a, a huge amount of time. You have our grandma, grandmothers, like, um, you know, our mothers having more time to pursue their professions. And, you know, we all know that better educated mothers is more successful children, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the world we see. You know, AI will enable us to have more time to pursue a lot greater things. And that's how that's how I look at it.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I I subscribe to that idea too. I mm-hmm. think uh, AI is going to to bring about a lot of change and new jobs. I, I particularly like when you're talking about how you're able to help young men and women who might not have thought about AI or technology as something they could do. That makes a lot of sense. It's, it's kind of opening their mind to the opportunities that are there yeah. that internet has made possible.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. So I guess a few questions about fast tagger is, like you were saying machine learning and ai takes a lot of resources how did you go about getting funded has that been a struggle has that been somewhere that that you've been proud of how how it has come about what what does that funding situation look like
1: uh, it's a, it's a challenge i mean we've mm-hmm. we've had investors tell us to our face that we can't do ai in Africa, because all the talent is in San Francisco, um, you know oh, wow. we've, we've we've had, but, but we've also been very lucky. So again, you know, you you realize that the world is more flat than it used to be. Um, so right after yeah. I left the GIZ, I got an opportunity. Um, I got I got accepted to an, an MIT bootcamp program I'm in Tokyo and. You know, mm-hmm. were 100 people from different parts of the world. I think there were three of us from the African continent, and that's one of the places that also really sparked my ideas around AI. You know, because this was a bootcamp yeah. particularly focused on, you know, setting up robotics, IoT, and AI companies. And one of the people I actually met there, you know, mm-hmm. became one of our first angel investors. And um, okay. then coming back to Kenya, part of my, you know, network from from previous times you know, I, I reached out to some people and I talked to them about, like, the passion that I had of, you know, creating these opportunities, one, for um, African youth, uh, and as well as, you know, getting them to actually build the solutions for the African continent. And, you know, yeah. we've got another angel investor through that. And so it's pretty much been a labor of love, you know, over the last yeah, year or so because it's really working on very lean Resources, because you know it's not Mm -hmm. there where you know like way more they get like they raise two billion, three billion (laughs) dollars to do their work or or scale AI. For us, you know, as somehow you know the scale AI of Africa, it's it's um it's a lot of times you know you're 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 going against people who um, you really don't see deep tech or um you know advanced Mm -hmm. tech you know working on the continent. They're like, there are so many other problems you should be solving first and. But we're saying that actually, you know, this will help us solve all these problems much faster, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's been the space we are in of really uh, trying to convince people because at the end of the day, you need those resources so that you can be able to uh, make a difference. But it's been it's been really great. You know, we've had a lot of support from a lot of people. Um, we've um, got a lot of, good opportunities we've reached out to advisors out of Silicon Valley and you know they've been very you know helpful to us we've reached out to advisors here in Kenya so but of course you know in any journey there's always like the ups and downs uh, but the idea is you know right. an anti-fragile mindset to some extent <laughs> of just pushing along and you know having all those redundancies and and, and, and hoping for the best you know just keep keep yeah. keep moving and that's the entrepreneurship journey
0: yeah, absolutely. I, I can't even imagine uh, VCs actually actually saying that. So what when they say things like, all the talent is just in San Francisco, how, how do you move past that without it honestly offending you a lot? Um, or it probably does, but how do you move past that?
1: Um, you, just, you just take it. I mean, honestly, I've become used to it, you know, to, to a large extent. Mm-hmm a lot of times just people just will not believe in in talent from the continent. And I've faced that also in previous, um, you know, engagements in the past. So I've just taken it as like, hey, it's part of the package, you know, yeah, just, mm-hmm. just move, move along. You'll find someone else who's willing to listen to you. And that's been the truth. Yeah. And maybe actually at some point you might be able to convince this person that, you know, we're actually doing it, and I've been very fortunate. Some of the most inspiring people are my co-founders. You know, amazing people. You know, amazing talent. You know, we're we're three founders. We're all Kenyan, Kenyan born, but you know, have been very fortunate to have experiences around the world. Our CTO, you know, um, got an opportunity to do his his graduate studies in the U.S. So at MIT and at Georgia Tech and. Mm-hmm. My other co-founder, you know, had experiences as well in you know in India and as well as Spain in data science mm-hmm. and, and analytics. And so we have to have that self-belief. Or any entrepreneur, whether you're in Silicon Valley or, or even here, is like of course people will always doubt you and put you down and have all these questions for you. But then the idea is like you have to almost have a crazy optimism, right? That you know you yeah. things will work out to some extent. And, you have to change people, figure out things, and move slowly, and you know at the end of the day, just believe that you're building something, something great and something useful and something that will be for value, for value to humanity. Yeah.
0: yeah, that absolutely. Well, I'm I'm confident you guys are gonna pull through. That's that's awesome. I'm I'm yeah. glad you can keep that that optimistic view. That's the hardest part in entrepreneur, entrepreneurship. Oh for yeah.
1: Sure. Oh yeah. I think Elon Musk said it really well recently when he was asked on, I think Clubhouse was in, mm-hmm. um, what words of encouragement or what ways of encouragement should an entrepreneur look for? And then he just said, well, if, if you are someone who would need encouragement, then you probably should not be an entrepreneur. <laughs> while while yes. that is a bit true, I think, of course, we always, there's a very strong and helpful and encouraging entrepreneurship community that is growing on the continent mm-hmm. from from Nigeria to South Africa to Egypt to Tunisia to Algeria to Mali, Ghana. I mean, I, I have all this network of people mm-hmm. who are there and willing to engage with you and for, for me to draw inspiration from And so that also helps a lot. And because we're also in a flat world, you know, there are people out of SF and out of Israel and you know, India and other places who I can also talk to and draw inspiration from.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's great to see that that uh, community is building. It's so important. So the problems you're working through are huge and and tech seems to really be the best way to solve them. Have you always had an interest in tech or when did that really start for you?
1: Yeah, uh, I'd say I've all of... I've had an interest in tech for a very long time. I remember, mm-hmm. you know, as, as, a, as a kid, you know, I was, I was, I was fortunate enough to, to, to have access to a, to a TV. And at, at that mm-hmm. time, you know, it was a small black and white TV. And it was um, mm-hmm. the, the national broadcaster was the only one that was broadcasting back then. Mm-hmm. And it used to start at 4 p.m. And um, it so happened that um, around that time, there used to be a, a TV show from Japan called Japan Video Topics. And so, you know, kids would run home in the evening and, you know, Uh see all these advances from Japan, you know, all these Uh topics from the NHK, the Nippon uh, station. And, you know, that that sparked an interest for me. I was like, wow, all this uh, this Japan, amazing technology that is happening there. And um, out of that curiosity, you know, just got more intrigued and yesterday when the Perseverance rover landed on Mars. Mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. in '97, um, I think Fourth of July was when the Sojourner, like uh, probe and rover, landed. Like that was the first probe to land on Mars. And I remember you know, doing cutouts from the newspapers that I could find about mm-hmm. it. And I still have that, like, uh, at my parents' place, um, somewhere. So I was, I think, I was fortunate enough to get exposed to ideas about technology. From quite a young age, I remember my dad also was, you know, a technical teacher um, for one of the colleges, mm-hmm. technical colleges. And he was always interested in, in you know, us opening up to IT. And, you know, he had a chance to, to buy one of these um, scrap computers, which, you know, at the end of every cycle, most corporate companies, they dispose of computers Right. And so he'd, right. he'd seek them out and, you know, get one of these computers and bring them home. And, you know, they, they were very old computers. I think I, I worked on a, an Apple II computer at one point, but I was just really <laughs> fascinated about it and eventually a compact computer. And, you know, I, I discovered Eliza, one of the first ever chatbots de- developed in huh. one of these computers. And um, I used yeah. to just engage with it. And, you know, I, later on I realized, oh, I had been engaged with AI way back when I was <laughs> quite young. And so, yeah, so I I, I developed that, you know, curiosity and um, about technology from then and how, you know, it could be used to 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 sort out challenges. Because also where we grew up, you know, was, you know, it was a very urban area, wasn't very safe. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, just seeing all that sort of, you know, challenge around you and poverty around you. So you're also thinking, okay, okay, what can be done to solve some of these challenges? And later on in life, you somehow start connecting these things.
0: Yeah. So is that what made you decide to go into entrepreneurship? Was it trying to solve those challenges using technology? Uh, did you did you think about that earlier? Has that been a, a more recent development to be an entrepreneur?
1: absolutely I think I've always had that idea in my head of mm-hmm. entrepreneurship of um, I got exposed to entrepreneurship programs when I was in high school and in primary school and you know just that idea of connecting social impact business the the capital markets you know especially you know capital i, I was you know one of the incidences that really really formed me was I took part in um, some UN events when I was in in high school, and mm-hmm. this is what really changed a lot of my ideas about you know seeing how complex the world was. Where I went, I, I participated in some UN conferences as a child representative from from Kenya, and at this particular conference, uh, you know, I met with you know young people from around the continent. Some of them who had been child soldiers, others who had been you know sex slaves and like undergone you know, female genital mutilation and, you know, people from war-torn countries. And I was like, it it really, it it really like one of my roommates was this 12-year-old kid and he'd been a child soldier, I believe, in in Liberia from, from when he was about nine years old. And it really, since... I've been going to school thinking, hey, I just want to be a scientist, inventor, and maybe entrepreneur. It changed the way I looked at things because I was thinking now it it shouldn't be all about just the excitement of making an invention. It should be more about Mm -hmm. the focus on what value can you create with whatever you're building so that no child ever grows up to have the life of this roommate of mine. Right? And... You know, that really now solidified the idea of okay, yes, I'm going to get into entrepreneurship, but it's to be able to create solutions using technology that can, you know, bring prosperity, economic prosperity, um, solutions that, you know, make sure that there's enough economic prosperity so that wars such as the one that led to, you know, my friend being a child soldier just don't happen.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's uh that's a powerful why that will will push you through a lot of struggles to yeah. to really ensure, ensure your entrepreneurial journeys succeed. That's uh thank you for sharing that. That's that's very powerful. Yeah, yeah so I guess this is a, a good time to transition into kind of the, the final section of the show. I want to be pretty cognizant of your time, make sure we uh let you get back to your your evening. So yeah, this section, I'll ask five questions and you can go into as much detail or answer as quickly as you want. It's really, really up to you. We've, we've still got some time. So the first one is, what is your favorite business book?
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's fairly easy, especially right now. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I believe it's, it's Disciplined Entrepreneurship by Bill Ouellette hmm. from MIT. I've been using it a lot and the ideas of the 24 steps and because there's a saying he's saying in, in that book and, and, and he says it a lot. I mean, it's part of the course that I did where I say that entrepreneurship is you not know, an entrepreneur. Entre- entrepreneurs, a lot of times people think that they are the crazy people who are just not thinking yeah. logically, just, you know, going out and making right. <laughs> decisions, but it actually, to be a successful entrepreneur requires a lot of discipline, and he actually says that an, mm-hmm. an entrepreneur has to have, you know, the the heart of, a, of a pirate and and but mm. the um, execution skills of an navy seal, right? Um, <laughs> and you know, I, I really resonate with that idea because yes, you you're trying to tackle you know new problems, you're trying to you know go against incumbents but then you know to be able to do that you have to be extremely extremely good at execution you know execution is that yeah. everyone has a dream everybody has an idea everybody has mm-hmm. that business where they're like hey i have the same idea but you didn't <laughs> execute right and you didn't execute well. yep. and and that's the hardest part executing well right and um, constantly it's the, the book keeps on pushing me and and. And just looking at the concepts there makes you believe that you can do it. That you don't have mm-hmm. to have been born an entrepreneur. You, you 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 know you can follow steps and like really focus and be able to do it. And that there's no one path to to it. And and you can be able to to tackle that the problem. So I'd say that's one of the the best business books um, so far.
0: Yeah, I am going to have to add that to my list. <laughs> I have not uh, have not read that one. Yeah yeah thank you for the recommendation so mm-hmm. i would say the the second question that we can dive into is what is one hobby that you have that people might not know about or might not think you have
1: ah uh, okay so one hobby that some people might not know i have uh, it was it was picked up quite some time back i need to be better at practicing it so i was uh, right out of the university, like, I mean, I, I think from, mm-hmm. from when I was pretty young, I've been, always been interested in martial arts. Um, oh, so yeah. I remember, as everyone, you know, who watched Bruce Lee and, and a lot of these <laughs> karate movies from oh, yeah. from, from China uh, and Kung Fu movies. Um, so I, I started karate like when I was, I think, in primary school for a bit. Um, I didn't oh, wow. progress so much yeah. with it. Then I picked it up again in in university for a while, mm-hmm. and then after university, and actually when I went to Japan, I actually you know even have the karate um, Japan karate oh, wow. federation passport because I did it wow. for for a while with a really good sensei, and then so martial arts you know generally is a hobby that I've always had. I mean I did Muay Thai as well for yeah. a couple of months. And now I picked up um, a bit of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and um, you know, last year was okay. not the best year to do <laughs> grappling sports. <Right>. But uh, <laughs> this year it's been it's been really, really, really helpful for the last few um, last month or so. And like, yeah, you know, just the community, the you know, getting back into it, the challenge, the you know, especially when you're a very, very um, beginner person, there it's you know, you're always yeah. getting <laughs> destroyed, <laughs> but you're just getting back into yeah. it, and everyone's so friendly. Everyone's like, "Well, they're they're friendly, but they'll kick your ass." <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> yeah. you slowly start to learn, and I think it's the same idea about also entrepreneurship. Is you don't have all the mm-hmm. skills at the beginning, but it's the idea is to keep on getting up and and, and continue engage with the mm-hmm. people there, learn from them, learn from everybody else, and just get better and build your skill. And so it's been really really helpful. Um, so yeah, that's that's maybe one hobby that I have yeah. that most people would not think uh, <laughs>
0: that I have. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I've dabbled a bit in martial arts as well, uh-huh. like Muay Thai and uh, nice. uh, Indonesian martial art, oh, uh, okay. a little bit of boxing, but nice. uh, yeah, it, uh, it definitely don't build the discipline. Like I yeah. you said, you're just going to get destroyed. You'll never <laughs> get better. If yeah. you don't have <laughs> huh. That's awesome. Yeah, I guess that goes to the third question. Which is who is your kind of business idol? Who do you look up to in the entrepreneurial
1: world? Yeah, so this is a this is an interesting one. Um, so if I had to look at the, the, the business world and think about okay, who who is you know, someone um, I I really you know look up to and um, mm-hmm. and think about, and I I'd probably say you know when I was when I was quite young, I read this book losing my virginity by what's his name Sir uh, richard branson um yeah. and that book like as an autobiography of an entrepreneur really 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 captivated yeah. me so sir richard branson is definitely someone i'd look up i really look up to because he, da- he didn't have any of the high pedigree sort of backgrounds yeah. as a lot of people you know everybody talks about, you know, jobs growing up in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. And he had all those mm-hmm. opportunities working at a place like Atari and, or, right. or, or Bill Gates dropping out of Harvard or Elon Musk, you know, doing right. physics in Stanford and, like, and all that. But, you know, this was someone who, you know, grew up with dyslexia, had yeah. so many challenges growing up. Yes, of course, maybe he grew up in the UK, and, but it was just like he was just following his passions, right? You know, his passions in music, then he starts a mail mailing like record business, and then grows from yeah. there. and And he brings all these ideas of you know really revolutionizing the transatlantic like experience for, for flights from the UK by mm-hmm. you know you know making a better experience on the on the plane. And you know he creates really? such a problem for uh, British Airways, and <laughs> he just does so many amazing things. And
0: uh, yeah,
1: and who wouldn't want to own their own island as well?
0: <laughs> no. That is for sure. So,
1: and he's just such a—he's not like um, you know tight t-shirt, t- t- tight yeah. shirt with like, yeah. you know, I think. but he's just someone with so much passion. You know, treating his people yeah. well. The Virgin brand is a very fun brand. Yeah, I, I think he's someone I definitely have looked up to for a long time. From even when I was mm-hmm. I was young, and he was doing things because of the passion. And he just didn't come from a very atypical. Like uh, background, and that's what I loved about
0: him. Oh yeah, yeah, I agree. His his story of starting Virgin Airlines is uh, maybe the best example of entrepreneurship, where he gets laid over their flight gets canceled, and he's like, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna book one. Yeah, um, I'll charter one, then I'll fill it up with people. I'll, <laughs> I'll get it paid for. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, uh, to yeah. think that way.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> amazing. Amazing.
0: It is. All right. Well, we can go to the, the fourth question, which is what is kind of your first memory of money and finance and all of that? I've found that that can be a powerful example of, of how you go about business and all of that. Yeah. So I'd be interested in hearing yours.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. One of the first memories I have is is one where so I was part of a, a program called Junior Achievement um, in uh, mm-hmm. in high school, and it was my f- we we had a, something called like a, a an entrepreneurship company program, and so we mm-hmm. set up a small business as as uh, mm-hmm. like like a fast food business of selling yeah. um, fries in school, and yeah. you know we were I, I went to like a boarding school here where you know. Mm-hmm seeing french fries was really really hard <laughs> you know that's only what you yeah. so after three months <laughs> during your holidays right and so you know that whole idea of you know i was able to go home and you know bring a small you know cooker and like you know uh-huh. get the, the ingredients and you know just i just saw the power of capital you know yeah. that we could be able to access these things bring them, cook those fries, and then get paid by Mm -hmm. other people because of delivering something that they really wanted that wasn't there, you know, and that we were the only ones who who were delivering it. And so just how fast people bought those fries, right? And like the demand for them. That was like, whoa, the, the money is coming really fast. And, but then also like the responsibility and like, of course, there's the customer relations and everything. Right. But that was, right. that was, you know, that felt really good, you know, that money coming in. Oh, yeah. And then now comes with like, oh, how do you share the money with all you know, the <laughs> other co-founders and, and such? But that right. was just exciting. That was exciting, making oh, yeah. money that way. And that that sort of, you know, stuck in me in, in saying that, hey, you know, making money is good. For me, it was that one of you owning your your means of production. You're owning how you're, you're you're making that money. And you can increase mm-hmm. it in any way. It, it it's it's um yeah. No matter what happens, you can make that money. Uh, so you can you can have an idea, you can do something, yeah. and you know you can be paid for it, and you, you can have that money which you can do other things with. You know, of course, now we use that as our pocket money and and mm-hmm. other things. So. That that was a very I think powerful for me knowing that I could come we could come up with an idea you could get a group of people you could come up with the business plan you could implement it and you could create value for other people and they were willing to pay for it that was really powerful.
0: Oh wow yeah I bet uh, the first first sale is always Sweet. always the sweetest. Sweet.
1: Oh it's addictive. <laughs> it <is.
0: laughs> Perfect. We can go into the, the last question of the final five, which is what is your favorite quote?
1: Ah, favorite quote. Now that's been that's been, that's a hard that's that's been a hard one to, to think. Um, <laughs> but to be honest, I remember the first time I hired it and the discussions I had with a really, really good friend who's a who's been a friend for the longest time and we still have these conversations about you know, we used to have some bus rides where we used to talk about a lot of philosophy. And, and, and that particular day where we read this essay, you know, the, what had happened is that we had gone, so I was part of this global youth organization called ISEC And, mm-hmm. you know, every week mm-hmm. we used to have talks, you know, uh, inspirational, motivational, or, you know, just procedural. And this time someone came yeah. and it was at a different university. <laughs> so I, I used to move between universities here in, in the city. And mm-hmm. so my, I met with my friend, and so they had just had a, a talk, and someone had read to them the the commencement speech from Stanford by Steve Jobs, and mm-hmm. that last part for "Stay hungry, stay foolish."
0: Yeah.
1: I till today, I I struggle to find uh, a quote that is more powerful, at least for me, because the more I've traveled. The, the more people I've engaged, the more new ways I've tried to reinvent myself from, you know, uh, mm-hmm. trying new businesses, trying new jobs and everything. That stray hungry, stay foolish has always. Well. I remember we were really debating with each other what that meant. What is staying hungry? What is staying foolish like? You know, what does that mean? <laughs> uh-huh. But then now, you know, when it really hit that it was all about Staying hungry in terms of like never being satisfied, never thinking you know enough, never thinking yeah. you've had enough. Yeah. You know, you know. Sometimes that that feeling of you know I have I've gotten a nice job, I'm getting good salary higher than most of my mm-hmm. peers, and I can buy a nice car and a nice house. Then I'm satisfied. You know that hunger one. You know that the hunger for 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 doing more is really really important. And mm-hmm. and stay foolish. You know, the idea that you don't know, you know, you, you, you just don't, you know, there's just so much more to know in the world. It's like that humility that, um, you know, staying open-minded. Like there are a lot of times that, you know, I could have decided, ah, I have all the answers. But then you listen to an advisor, you listen to, you know, some student somewhere asks you a question. And you're like, wow, okay, I had no idea about that. Let me figure that. Let me try to figure it out. That's a really good thing to think about, um, you know, getting into this AI space, I, I have, you know, every every day is just new learning, you know, there's just so much, oh, so yeah. many papers coming out, and 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 knowing that I can't know everything, I, I need to engage and collaborate with people who know more than me, so I think that's one of the most mm-hmm. powerful quotes I've ever heard, and, and that resonates with me every day, um, staying hungry, staying foolish.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Mutembi, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit more, getting to know about FastTagger. Um, so thank you for coming on. And I look forward to hearing updates on FastTagger in the future. I think there's a there's a bright future for AI in Africa, for sure.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Brian. And thank you for being such a good host, really engaging questions. I got to reflect on my own thoughts and learn more about myself <laughs> as well. I, i've realized that is a big part of actually who i am i mean I think I've been <laughs> a lot of people have told me a lot of times that i I talk too much but I realize that's pretty much the way i actually think because the more i engage yeah. with people the more they ask me questions the more i actually think about the question and mm-hmm. and, and how i'm going to reply i get i develop mm-hmm. insights and i learn more from probably the conversation um, than I could from having just sat down and thought about things myself. So thank you very much for the good questions. Um, I think life, the most important thing are good questions, actually.
0: I agree with that. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. Uh, I look forward to hearing from you soon. As always, thank you for joining in our conversation. If you have any recommendations on guests for the show or any comments on this episode, or if you would like to be on the show yourself, email me at podcast at studentsofbusiness.com. To get our show notes and to be alerted on the release of new episodes, hit that subscribe or follow button in your favorite podcast player or go to developingfounders.com and subscribe to our email list. Thanks for joining and I'll see you next week.